Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Happy Leap Day! Wow! Once every four years. Once every four years. February 29th. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm still trying to soak it all in. I, yeah. did We've talked about this before, I think. But if your birthday was on February 29th, like you were born on the 29th, would you, when when would you celebrate? February 28th. You would go, yeah, me too. I would stay in the month. Yeah. I would have trouble going to March 1st. It feels like a different month. altogether. Everything. It's like a different month altogether. Different everything. <laughs> I bought yeah. uh, eclipse glasses. Have you bought those yet? Speaking of this no. weird astronomical stuff. No, yeah, no. It's supposed to be a full eclipse, bro. I know, and and we're supposed to get thousands of people. Thousands who want to see this amazing astronomical event. Like, have you seen the news articles that are warning about the traffic that's going to be in the DFW area? Dude, we live 15, 20 minutes away. I I get, no, I'm I'm there with you. We're not going to have any problem. Yeah, well, okay, good. I am confident we're going to be okay. I mean, uh, maybe Preston Road's a little a little more traficy than normal. Anyway, Monday, Preston's April eighth. If you guys want to come visit our church on April seventh, in honor of the solar eclipse, I mean, yeah, feel welcome to join us. Well, maybe we'll go out and do an outing together on the eighth. That would be fantastic. You should do that. You should make plans. You should come visit us. Take us out to Hutchins. We would not put it against you. No, not at all. You know, I bet if we go during the eclipse, I bet the lines will be shorter there. Uh, probably. Most places, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just going to get dark for a little bit, and then it's going to be light again. It's just going to get dark for a little bit. And then everybody's going to be like, all right. It's going to be so exciting. I can't wait, man. I got the glasses coming in. Yeah. Well. All right. So today's a leap day. We promised our audience something special today. So let's give them some encouragement. If you're caught up on the Bible reading plan, good job. Well done. So here, here's what we suggest for you today, then. We, we, we put our heads together. We prayed for 17 and a half hours. We fasted for the whole week. And here's, here's our advice. Don't lie. That's our advice. Don't lie. We didn't do any of that, actually. <laughs> we, yeah. But we do have advice for you. We do. Go for it. We, we think that you should pick an epistle and read all the way through it. What's an epistle? Epistle could be anything that's after the gospels. Anything. Or I guess or apocalypse. The revelation would also would be kind of an epistle. No, it's not an epistolary. It's from Christ. Don't read Revelation. Pick a different, smaller four or five chapters, you know, 1 John, 2 John, 1 Thessalonians, Ephesians, Colossians, one of those books. Um, if you want to go crazy, you could do 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, or Romans. Yeah. Those are uh, epistolary. But find something that you could read in 20, 30 minutes. Sit down and read the whole thing. When's the last time you've done that? I bet that'll be good for you. I think it might be. Yeah. And also, Acts is not an epistle. So... Acts. Gospels and Acts. At Gospels yeah. and Acts. Anything besides Gospels, Acts, and Revelation, I think you could probably fit in there. Yeah, that would be that would be good. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what we're going to suggest that you do. But in the meantime, uh, while we've got you here, we wanted to talk about a couple of important concepts with you having to do with the idea of the canon of Scripture. Boom. Boom. Loud noises. Fireworks. Yay. Yeah. No, we want to talk about the the canon of scripture for you and and with you and a little bit of, okay, so why can we trust in uh, in the Bible that we have and and what is is that all about? So first, let's talk about the concept of the canon and what the word canon means. The word canon actually means measuring rod. I was waiting to see if you were going to chime in there. 
well, I was just, I was doing the booms. So yeah, I was it's, already committed. It's a measuring rod. So uh, that's it. It comes from actually, uh, we have the word show up in the Hebrew in uh, the word kane, kane, and it's in Ezekiel 43, having to do with a measuring reed in hand. And so it's a measuring rod. Canon is, uh, is the word that we use. So when we talk about the canon, what we're talking about are, in our Bible, the 66 books of the uh, the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. What does that have to do with the measuring rod? Uh, the the That is what is the defining rule for what is authoritative within the church. They and are the so standard. It's, it's the standard. Yeah. Yeah. Another word to, to use would be standard. So I guess the question becomes, how did we get those 66 books? And that's kind of what our, our topic of the day is, so to speak. Uh, uh, first, a couple things that were not taken into consideration as the, the main reason for accepting a book. Number one, age. Okay. So it wasn't that they just held up these old books and were like, this one's old. We should take it. Um, second, whether it was written in Hebrew or not, there are other Hebrew books that were written that were written in the language of the Jewish people that are not considered canonical that we don't have as part of our old Testament. Uh, third uh, agreement with the Torah. It, it wasn't just about, does this agree with other things that, that the Torah teaches? Uh, fourth, it wasn't the church's choice. In other words, it, we've talked about this before. It wasn't just a bunch of men that got together and said, let's, let's do this book and not this book. Mm. And then finally, it wasn't just about Christian pragmatism. In other words, what works well with our, our understanding of the Christian gospel. These are not the, the rules and, and reasons why anything was accepted into uh, the canon. But really what it came down to is another doctrine that we talk about, which PR, I'd love for you to unpack a little bit, called the doctrine of inspiration. What is the doctrine of inspiration as it relates to canonicity? So the idea is that God used human agents to write precisely what it was that he wanted to write. And he did so without negating or undermining the human element of the writer. So sometimes the idea has been posited, well, uh, it's like God took a glove and wrote a letter with a glove. Um, and, and I get the idea there. That's kind of a cool analogy. I, I like it. It makes sense in some ways, but it doesn't capture the way that Scripture utilizes real people. Yeah. For instance, as Paul writes, he doesn't become entranced and suddenly have the Holy Spirit take over and he leaves his body for 45 minutes or an hour as the letter's written. That's not what happens. Instead, it's more like God utilizes every fiber, every being, every thought, every illustration, every every element of the human agent to capture and to preserve exactly what he wants. And you might wonder, well, how does he do that? How is that possible? How could God inspire the words that he exactly wanted from these human people? And, and we should make clear here, God did this once before and in a much greater way when he conceived of Jesus through the virgin womb of Mary. Mm -hmm. He was able to supersede and superintend over her such that he created this baby uh, we're going to say out of nothing, but that's not the way that it worked. God, through the Holy Spirit, created the child within Mary's womb. If he can do that larger miracle, then the secondary, smaller miracle of preserving and creating the Word of God precisely as he intends it is entirely possible. So when we get the idea of inspiration, we're talking about God breathed 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. God breathed out the Word. He used human agents to do this, 2 Peter chapter 1, um, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, Second yep. Peter chapter one. Um, he he carried men along um, through through the Spirit to preserve and to cr to create what is now known as the canon. Right, inspired by God. So that leads to a, a key discussion as far as the the method or the methodology for recognizing a book as canonical. And so there's there's really three parts that go into this. Number one, inspiration. 
as as the councils got together, they said, does this book itself contain either evidence that this is God-breathed, number one, or number two, claims to being God-breathed? Does it say the Lord said, or this is the word of the Lord, as, as some of them do? Um, even some of the, the, the references later on in the Old Testament appeal back to the law of the Lord, the, the, the Torah, as being something authoritative. And so they're looking back to the, the inspiration. So inspiration, number one. Second, recognition. What are the books that for years have been recognized as authoritative in the lives of the Jewish community, specific with the Old Testament and the, in the New Testament, which we'll get to in a minute there uh, in, in the, the, the circle of the church. But they looked at what books were held as, as authoritative, what were considered to be uh, sources that were good for instruction and good for um, bringing up and confronting and, and teaching and guiding. And so there was a recognition already in place of these books that were, were the books that became canonical. Then from that point, it got to the, the, the part of collecting them. And that's what we often think of as when books were canonized, when they were collected. Well, they were canonized because they were inspired, because they were recognized, and then finally they were collected And third. They weren't collected first and then said, now you have to recognize these. It was kind of the, the other way around in that. To be clear here, you're talking primarily about the Old Testament? Primarily at this point about the Old Testament. Yep. Okay. Yep. And it gets easier as when we make our way to the New Testament. But for, for, for shorthand's sake, one of the reasons Christians appreciate, love the Old Testament scriptures is because Jesus loved and appreciated. He called them the Word of God. And granted, everything that Pastor PJ said is going to be super helpful for you as you think about why we accept these books as canonical. Uh, but it'll make all the more sense when we get to the New Testament because Jesus, who lived, died, and rose again, called these things the Word of God. And therefore... We have no problem saying, oh, if Jesus understands them as the word of God, then certainly that's what they are. We're yeah. not going to deny that. Yeah. Yeah. In the Old Testament, you get uh, really two categories that, that break down um, the law and the prophets. That's, that's what you hear most often. Sometimes you'll hear the law, the prophets, and the writings. The writings being the wisdom literature, the Song of Solomon, uh, Psalms, Ecclesiastes would be included in that. But typically when you hear Jesus or the, the apostles refer to the law and the prophets, they're, they're making an appeal to the entirety of the Old Testament. Um, in the law being the first five books and, and then everything else after that. Samuel would have been considered, for example, a prophet, which is why you can look at the books of First and Second Samuel and consider them uh, to be prophets as well. So um, that that's kind of our, our Old Testament canon that we have there. Uh, there's... Uh, the, the books are broken down differently in the Hebrew Bible from our Bible. That doesn't mean that they are uh, adding or subtracting. For example, there's the book of the 12, and that's the 12 minor prophets that we have in our Bibles. Those are broken out individually. In some of the Hebrew Bibles, those are included in one, the, the book of the 12. That's what that's referenced. And uh, sometimes you will see Jeremiah and Lamentations put together in the Hebrew Bible. Sometimes you will see uh, the, the book of Kings put together as one book. First and second Kings is one. Same with Chronicles. Uh, Judges and Ruth are often paired together. So it's not that we're missing any. It's just that there's a different way of dividing them up and breaking them out as uh, as they're listed there in the Old Testament canon versus uh, what we see in our Bible versus the Old Testament or versus the uh, the Hebrew Bible. But all that to say, it's, again, not a bunch of guys sitting around going, which books do we want? These were books that were already recognized by the Jewish people that were collected, that were recognized, that were canonized. Uh, and and there's, there's a lot more there that we could get into. But let's jump to the New Testament, because as one author put it, um, Frank Turek would, would often says, if you get the New Testament, you get the Old Testament because yeah. of how much of the Old Testament is referenced in the New Testament. And demonstrated to be the Word of God, as we said previously. The New Testament authors largely treated the, the Old Testament as what it was, the Word of God, the Scriptures. Right. right. 
Right. Yep. Yeah. So New Testament. Why? Uh, why? Number one. How about why another canon in the first place? Why didn't the the church just continue to teach the the Old Testament books? Why did they need a new new canon? Uh, and there's there's maybe three uh, concepts for us to to think about in that regard. Number one being ecclesiastical. Uh, having to do with the church, there was a, a growing corpus, a growing body of apostolic and non-apostolic teaching, and there needed to be clarity about what was authoritative and what wasn't authoritative. What should circulate and be read amongst the other churches and, and what should be not circulated, what should be rejected, what should be tra- translated and sent out to the mission field. So that was, all had to do with the ecclesia- uh, ecclesiastical uh, element, the church element of this. The second was theological. What books were to be trusted for sound doctrine? What books were to be authoritative for the church? And then the third, uh, what books should be preserved against persecution because there was persecution rising up in the, the, the realm as well? And what books should be included in, uh, in, in just the, the, the general practice for the church at the time? So uh, a lot of this came about by necessity. There, there was so much writing taking place that they needed to say, this is, this is authoritative, this is not authoritative. One thing I would put under the heading of theological, so your second category there, Pastor PJ, is the fact that under uh, having a new covenant required new writings. So when God initiates a new covenant with his new people, there had to be writings associated with that. It would be really strange to have a covenant, a formal covenant, without having formal stipulations of the covenant. And so it makes perfect sense that within the framework uh, of, uh, of the new covenant, you would have new writings. And yep. furthermore, Jesus promised that there would, be, uh, there would be a promotion of his teaching through the apostles, that he would send their spirit, the spirit, the spirit would remind them of everything that he said, and they would be his official spokespieces. And those spokespieces eventually would write things down for us. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people will appeal to the, uh, I believe it's 8325, um, is it Constantinople or Nicaea where they uh, they appeal to the, the formation of the canon? Um, 300s is Nicaea. Yeah, so I think it was Nicaea. 325 is when they say, this is when this group of men got together and said, here's the canon. Here's the, the authoritative books. Yeah, to combat Arianism. Yeah. So they're using the authorized documents. Right. And, and the problem with that is they're saying all these guys got together and they had their own agenda and these are the books they chose because they, they wanted that. In fact, there's a book called uh, The Heresy of Orthodoxy by I think Kruger. Kruger. Kruger? Michael uh, Kruger, I'm pretty sure. Don't Maybe. Get, I'll need to double check Look it up. It. Yeah, the heresy of orthodoxy. Um, and its whole argument is basically that the, the, the church won because the church had the most political clout. We're both right. Book by Andreas Kostenberger and Michael Kruger. There we go. Yeah. Interesting book. And it's, it writes to refute that notion and to prove it otherwise. And so if you're interested in that. But here's a couple thoughts for you. Uh, the, the, one of the earliest canons that we have is, is known as uh, Marcion's Canon. Marcion's Canon. Marcion's Canon is from around 140 AD. And there you have a partial list of the New Testament books that show up later in the official canon in, uh, in AD 325. Next, you have Irenaeus. So Irenaeus lived from 130 to 202 AD. So 130 to 202 AD, and Irenaeus cited as authoritative the Gospels, so all four Gospels, the Pauline Epistles, 1 Peter, 1 and 2 John, and Revelation showed up in Irenaeus there as, hey, these are our canonical books. These are books that we're holding as, as the standard. Remember, that's what the word means. Next, you had the Miratorian Canon in 170 AD, and they added Jude to that list from Irenaeus. And then Tertullian, 150 to 220 AD uh, had a, another example with a lot of those same books in them as well. So all that to say, uh, there's evidence of the books that we see that are that show up way before um, the, the, this council of, of church fathers in uh, 325. 
Probably one of the most important factors that determined whether or not a writing was received by the church was whether or not it was a post, uh, possessed apostolicity, right. whether it was written by an apostle or a close associate of an apostle. So with that, with that being said, Pastor PJ, why did some of these books happen later? We know that there are some books that took time for the church to receive and for the church to say, okay, yeah, we, for, for instance, I think Jude was one of them. That was a later at Hebrews is another one. Um, why did some books take longer for the church to say, yeah, we think these are the word of God? Yeah. I mean, for Hebrews specifically, there's no there's no author attached to it that we know of. And so without that authorial uh, tag, it's, it's hard for us to be able to point to and say, yeah, this is, this is, is uh, to be included as canonical. Cause we don't know, we can't trace that apostolic authority there. Um, uh, James was one that came under uh, fire. In fact, Martin Luther tie, yeah. even hated James much later on. Uh, but reconciling James theology with Paul's theology was something that took a little bit of time to, to work through to see that they're not actually competing, but they're actually complementing each other in their views on these things. So um, it wasn't as though it was an insertion later on because it was written much later on and then said, oh, yeah, we should trust this. It was really trying to be diligent and, and careful about what books were put forward and saying this is authoritative in the church. Which also brings up another quality, and it's that the, the sense of orthodoxy. One of the barriers to entry for something to be considered part of the canon was that it didn't negate or undermine or com- contradict anything that was previously already received. So by this point, even though uh, the list it seems to be kind of being put together piecemeal, what you have is a collection of writings that the church largely agrees upon and says, yes, these are the word of God. And if there was a Johnny Come Lately book like the Gospel of Thomas, right. if, it dis- if, it, if it rejects what we already know to be true, well, then now it's entirely suspect. We're, we're not going to receive it. In fact, it was rejected for more than one reason because the Gospel of Thomas, even though it bears the name of one of the apostles, it was in fact not that. It was written late, yeah. which is another qualifier of something that was received in the canon. It was earlier writing by an apostle or a close companion companion of the apostle, like Luke or, uh, or Mark, and it, it had to be orthodox. It could not possess deviant teaching from what was already received. Right. And if you're wondering, uh, okay, what's so bad about these books? Here's, here's one quote from the Gospel of Thomas. You ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> Hit me. Hit me with your best shot. Okay. Hit me with your a playmate of Jesus took a branch of a willow, a tree, right? And with it dispersed the water with which Jesus had gathered together. So Jesus had some water that he had gathered Created together. Created a puddle. Right, and created a puddle. And so this kid came and took the, the, the tree branch and <sighs> scattered the water. When Jesus saw what he had done, he was enraged and said to him, you insolent, godless thunderhead. What harm did the pools and the water do to you? See now, you shall also wither like a tree and shall bear neither leaves nor root nor fruit. And immediately the lad was withered up completely. Wow. Does that sound like the Jesus of the Gospels? I was going to say, man, Jesus has some flames. <laughs> like that's, that was a good, that was a good comeback. Insolent man. thunderhead. I might, thunderhead. I might use that the next time someone cuts me off and I'm upset about it. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. Yeah. Petulant, you know, uh, arrogant, difficult to work with. Well, and, and even beyond that, there were, there were just things that were theologically incorrect. Like here's something else from the Gospel of Thomas. Jesus said, I am the all and the all has emerged from me and the all has attained to me. Cut a piece of wood. I am there. Lift up a stone and you will find me there. Oh, pantheism. Pantheism. Yeah. Right. And that's creeping into the gospel of Thomas that, and, and, and it's being peddled by the church is like, Hey, you should, you should follow this. This is good. You should pay attention to this. Not the, 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 the good church, but, but by some trying to sneak this stuff in. And that's why we needed a standard. That's why we needed something to be able to say, 
this is not, this does not measure up. Which is so interesting because bad theology actually plays a really helpful role in the formation of the canon. It's in part the reason why you have councils of godly men get together and say, okay, we need to figure out what's within the bounds here. Because you have, uh, you have a teaching like right. Arianism, or you even have teaching from Marcion, Martian, some people call him M-A-R-C-I-O-N, uh, who was chopping up pieces of the Bible to say, I don't like this part. I like this part though. You have bad teachers who forced the church to clarify what she believes and why. And part of that was the formation of the canon. The church is saying, let's understand and let's be clear about what is and what is not received scripture. And the gospel of Thomas is one of those that were not. Gospel of Peter is another one you might've heard of. Um, there's other Gnostic gospels that are presented as being, see, look what the church is doing. These guys right. all had Bibles and books and they just selected the ones that they liked the most. That's not the case. Right. There was lines of, uh, of credibility that came from these early gospel accounts. Gospel of Peter, gospel of Thomas, those don't show up until uh, the second century. Yeah. yeah. So, yep. I mean, we're, we're talking long after the writings of the initial gospels that were originally presented. Right. Yeah. And so the, the, I guess the, a good question to end with is why do we believe that the canon is closed? Why is, do we believe that there's no new scripture to be written or, or created or, or penned today? What's, what's our confidence there? And there's a couple of thoughts there here on that front. Number one, um, there needed to be that apostolic authority. I mean, that, that was, that was clear. That's a common thread that runs through all of the, the new Testament books. And th there may be some pastors that call themselves apostles today, but there, there's no apostles, big a, like we're talking about here, as far as apostolic authority goes, uh, there also needed to be that connection through the apostles back to the teaching of Jesus, back to his word. And, and, and so it's, it's, there's no new teaching of Jesus that's taking place today that then needs to go back and be uh, included in there. The, the, another point to consider is the testimony of the early church. The early church considered the canon to be closed at this point. The early church considered there's no more new revelation coming in. And you had some heavy hitters in the early church. I mean, you had Origen, you had Chrysostom, you had um, Augustine, you had all of these people that were really heavy hitters and none of them dared to say what I'm writing is on par with scripture. Uh, they knew that they were subservient to uh, the word of God. And then the, the, the last point I would make is that there's the, the clear testimony of the, the spirit as well, uh, that the testimony of the spirit, which says what we read in scripture is different. It's unique from picking up a sermon manuscript and reading a sermon manuscript. There's a difference there in how it is uh, useful to us and impactful for us. The thing that most helps me, Pastor PJ, is the fact that there's no apostles today. The right. apostles and their clothes, and it's the first thing you brought up, but it's right. the one that carries the most weight for me. Yep. I don't expect God to speak a new revelation because the people that he commissioned and authorized to carry the new revelation are dead. They and their closest companions are no longer walking the earth. You can no longer trace a direct line from you all the way back to the, the apostle Peter, right. even though the Catholic Church tries to do that. Uh, we, we can't do that. And so, therefore, we should not expect there to be any authorized material of the scriptures to be presented and to be accepted by the church at large. In fact, imagine that. Who would even go to, uh, you know, a council? <laughs> we send everyone from every supposed Christian denomination. It would be a train wreck. But beyond that, if anyone comes to you and says that they have new revelation, uh, another gospel of Jesus Christ, perhaps, um, let's just be let's just be frank here. You ought to reject it outright because it is not another gospel of Jesus Christ. We should not expect new revelation apart from what we have here in the text itself. And it's not new, it's old. Um, for those reasons, we would encourage you to avoid groups that suggest otherwise. But you should be confident in what you have. Uh, some Christians have asked in, in ages past, well, what if we were to find a book today uh, that was penned by the Apostle Paul? 
um, would that be added to our Bibles? And the, the short answer is no, it right. wouldn't be, because it would not pass the tests of canonicity that we've already elucidated. It, even though it is a, a apostolic, it did not receive universal acceptance by the church. Otherwise, we would have it. So right. by necessity, it would not be included in the canon. Uh, but there, I mean, there, I'm sure you have a lot more questions on that. But is there anything else, Pastor PJ, that you'd like to encourage our people with? I think we've we've covered a lot, and it's probably been a fire hose with a lot of this. Um, yeah, I, there's so much more. There may be some resources to to if this wet your appetite at all. If this intrigues you, give at us all. one book, um, only one. Don't give us ten. Oh, man, I don't know pick if I your can do that. best, the best. Did you, uh, did you write it? Maybe you should write the I book. I did not write the book. There's a book called How We Got Our Bibles, um, I believe by Geisler, uh, which is super helpful. Uh, there's another book called From God to Us, which is... Uh, this is more than one. Uh, yep. Uh, there's a, uh, Yeah. There's there's others. Um, Evidence that demands a verdict talks has sections on biblical canonicity. That's a biggie. That's a huge one. That's by Josh McDowell and uh, his dad, Sean McDowell. Nope, Josh and other Sean. Ways. Other way around. Other way around, yep. We totally knew what you meant. Yep. But that one's that one's meaty. That one's heavy. Um uh, Frank, uh, Frank Turek, uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Again, this is more than one, but has okay. Some good resources in there on the, the doctrine of canonicity. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's there. It's, it's so much more in depth than what we could go through here on this 25 minute podcast. Um, <laughs> yes, and, it, we're at 25 minutes. Yes. Yeah. So maybe in another four years, when we hit another leap year, we'll, we'll follow up more on this. <laughs> Part but, two uh, in four years. Yeah. Hold us to it. So, uh, so yeah, stay tuned. But if this did create questions for you, feel free to email. Honestly, email because this was yeah we didn't we didn't do do justice on this subject. I didn't do justice on this subject. So feel free to email your questions because there are answers. And so if this confused you, ask the question. Send it to podcasts at compassntx.org and we will get back to you with an answer because the answers are there. The, the Bible is the most reliable book on the face of the planet, bar none. And so uh, help us clarify anything that may have been muddled in this podcast. That's right. Anyways, keep reading your Bibles because they are reliable. Remember, epistle, if you're already caught up, jump into an epistle. If you miss a section, go back and read that section and uh, keep reading your Bibles. And we will catch you again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See you then. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.